Welcome to the McCovey Chromecast. It's just me, Brian Murphy, doing the intro. Later, I'm going to have Grant Brisby come on. You might remember him from McCovey Chronicles. Uh, so I'm just going to get to that in a minute. But I want to talk about the rest of the year. We're going to do about four, I think we're doing four, scheduled shows uh, for the end of the year. Grant's going to be our first guest. And there's going to be a bunch of other guests who come in uh, to wrap things up. You'll get one a week um, until the new year. And then we'll see what happens with the Chromecast after that. Um, the California Freelancer Law, AB5, has sort of put things uh, a bit of a question mark in terms of what's going to happen for sort of all of our formats going forward. So I'm waiting to see what happens there. I know you're very interested in hearing about all that. Uh, it's just business stuff. But thank you for listening uh, through all 85-plus episodes. We also have Sammy Higgins' Happy Hour. You know, So we've done, like, and we've done the Pro- Prospects podcast. We've done over 100 podcasts over the last couple of years. So I appreciate everyone who's listened and subscribed and all that good stuff. Uh, so before I get to Grant in the interview, where we talk about the site itself, we talk about what it's like working for The Athletic, we talk about which of us is taller because that's a debatable subject, Talk about a lot of those things. It's very interesting. You'll want to hear it. I'll um, get to it in a minute uh, after I answer a couple of questions because I did ask for some Twitter questions and we got a bunch from Andrew Bader, who has always been good at sending in questions. Um, uh, he sent eight. I'm answering two. And uh, one of those are where have you been and why? Uh, we've been around. We have to generate a bunch of content in the off season still. But the podcast has always been a secondary concern just for time commitments. and just haven't been able to get to it. Sammy and I did one uh, after Gabe Kapler was hired, and I just haven't been able to get the time. And then the holidays happened, but I've cleared my schedule. Um, I'm going to make time next week or two to record those so that we have stuff for the rest of the year. So there you go. There's an answer there. The other question that I'm answering from Andrew, what does your SF Giants version of the trolley car scenario look like. So trolley car problem is an ethics problem if you're not familiar with it. There's a trolley on a track, the track splits. If you switch the, uh, if you do nothing, the trolley car will run over five people who are already tied to the track. If you do something, pull the lever, it will switch tracks and it will kill one person. So you do nothing, five people die, you make a choice to, to do something you kill one person and the ethics are uh, sort of like your decision your determination your decision making i didn't read all the ethical implications of it but basically if you make a choice to kill someone versus doing nothing to allow people to die what is what is the actual moral ethical implications of of all of that of either either choice because you're choosing not to choose in the in the setup um so this is interesting because we're actually recording this podcast, or Grant and I did this interview. We started it an hour before the Garrett Cole news on Tuesday of the winter meetings, and this is going up Wednesday morning, the day after all that, uh, the aftermath, basically. And about five minutes after Garrett Cole's nine-year, $324 million contract was announced, Ken Rosenthal followed that right up with this rumor that the Dodgers having lost out on Cole, were setting their sights on Madison Bumgarner, who you might remember from the Giants. And so there's the trolley car scenario there. I feel like if the Giants do nothing, Madison Bumgarner signs probably with another team. If they do something, they prevent him from going... If they sign him, then they're making a choice to grab him. I think that's the trolley car problem there. So if they do nothing, they lose him. They do something, they get him, and they probably add another one of their aging core uh, onto the pile of legends who we've watched over the years be good, atrophy, and then just go away while tying up payroll. Um, I think you've gathered over, if you've been listening and reading uh, over the past year or so, that I personally have really started to uh, shun the whole concept of cost efficiency and all that. I understand why it's there, but I think it's gotten too crazy about numbers. So the idea that Madison Bumgarner is signing a five-year, $125 million deal or a five-year, $100 million deal, let's just say, and the Giants offering that to him, that does not 
It does not phase me in any way. I do not see that as being a hindrance to anything the Giants might want to do. Although with their trade uh, yesterday now, uh, getting Zach Cozart to buy the Angels' first-round draft pick, and then saying that they were going to keep their options open in terms of adding more bad contracts for prospects and potential upgrades. I see how signing Bumgarner to a deal might prevent that. And by preventing that might prevent the Giants, might block the Giants from adding younger players, prospects, or just, you know, our first-year arbitration players. So in that sense, I can see if that's a choice. Maybe there's something. But at the same time, why is that the choice? The Giants have tons of money. I don't really care if they meet the salary tax, but hit the salary tax again suddenly. But I get it. They're not expected to do well, so why spend a bunch of money? I get it. So that's the Charlie Pollock problem. That's it. That's all the question is from Andrew. What does it look like? I think I just answered it. It's it's Giants doing something to re-sign Madison Bumgarner or doing nothing and letting him sign with another team. That's where it's at now. What's the moral, ethical obligation? It's business. It's sports. I'm not sure how much morals and ethics get into it. Madison Bumgarner also has a choice in this matter, which is a little bit different. Um, it's, I guess in the other sense, he's the one in the trolley in this case. And if he does nothing, I don't, you know, he doesn't sign with anybody. And if he does something, he signs with somebody. And then that's less, that's less ethically gray. Uh, so I guess let's stick with the Giants. Um, and I don't know what their moral response, I don't know what their responsibility is even on the business sense. They need a starting pitcher. They need starting pitchers. Bumgarner has had two freak accidents um, and, and appears to be on the mend from them. Uh, I think sabermetricians are very quick to say that his hard hit rate, you know, and sort of, and his 390 FIP are sort of indicative of a of a pitcher who's probably not worth more than a, 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 a like a minor league a spring training invitation or something really insulting, because sabermetricians tend to want to feel smart or feel superior to someone. So Madison Bumgarner is better than an average pitcher, but maybe they are projecting out even a year or two from now that he's going to be average or just sub-average and shouldn't get anything that he's asking for just because. Um, but I mean, with Madison Bumgarner, whoever signs him, they're going to be buying the reputation. You're going to have his picture on banners outside your stadium on your... Do they still do season uh, magazines? Um, uh, media books? I think it's all digital now, right? Madison Bumgarner is going to be a face of the franchise type, though, wherever he signs. And so that should be calculated into the contract value, which the fan graphers of the world don't need to even incorporate. But it is interesting when they get super snooty about it that, like, they completely... It doesn't even factor into their reasoning. It's just, these are what the numbers say, this is what it should be, and anything else than that is is absurd to be crazy town. Um, I think that might start to change just because we've gotten sung so far into that direction. But he will be an interesting case, especially if the Dodgers sign him, because the Dodgers are basically the smartest organization on planet Earth, smarter than NASA. They're cutting edge. They're, you know, they're, they're basically Star Trek technology. They can just, you know, it, punch in the type of prospect they want, and the replicator will spit them out. Andrew Friedman is a genius. So this rumor, it, it, I feel like it, it's probably more of a troll uh, job that's on the site. There's an article about that just based on all the reasons why that makes more sense than them actually signing him. Uh, but if they do sign him, you're going to see a lot of people twisting themselves in knots to figure out how it makes sense. Again, that's all determined by Bumgarner choosing to sign with them. And I really do wonder if he would choose to sign with the Dodgers. I don't necessarily see that coming along and I don't because I and I also don't see the Dodgers offering the most money because the Dodgers don't offer the most money they offer deals that they're comfortable with so if you there's no reason for you listening to a Giants podcast to be someone who knows anything about Dodgers Twitter but if you go through Dodgers Twitter the fan the part of the fan base the faction of the fan base that is super angry that the Dodgers haven't won a World Series yet despite being brilliant uh, it always has. They're making fun of the fact that they probably that the Dodgers probably 
offered uh, Garrett Cole something like two years and $80 million because those types of weird deals are something they're more comfortable with rather than standard long-term deals. So Andrew Friedman sees that Madison Bumgarner's market is five years and $100 million. He'd probably come out and say, yeah, we were more comfortable with three years and $75 million or something like that, or three years and $78 million. Just something to, you know, shorter shorter term, long, uh, larger, slightly larger AAV. That does seem to be the Dodgers' MO. Is that something Madison Bumgarner is going to want to do? I personally think it's more teams should be offering that. More players should be interested in that because, I don't know, it just seems to make more sense. Garrett Cole signs a nine-year deal for $36 million AAV. That's great for him. But I'm wondering if you're the Yankees or any other team, what's wrong with, you know, six in a much I don't know math, six in a much higher AAV uh, that's almost equal to that? Um, I feel like it, it's an insurance you're, with a pitcher in particular. You're, you're going to probably lose him to Tommy John at some point, if not ineffectiveness. So why not safeguard it that way, and then the player can still get money. Um, get the money he wants. And, and I think the only reason why, I mean, it sounds to me like the only reason why players want all these long-term deals is because they want the most money. And that's the fastest way, that's the best way for them getting these large deals. You don't get a $300 million, $330 million contract unless you're approaching 10 years. So, I don't know. I, what baseball players are good for 10 years? There are not that many. It does not happen for very long. It, it happens, obviously, but it's hard to predict, and it's no sure thing, and I don't know. And I think by the end of it, it's great that the players got paid, but at the end of it, it's like, what are we doing for the last three years? Like, the player has to kind of suffer all these indignities and deal with all this garbage, and everyone's kind of miserable for the last two or three years. Eh, just, eh. Someone's going someone's gonna to do it one year where it's like, Six and forty, and everyone's happy. Or you know, five and five and two hundred, and everyone's happy. Uh, I don't know. I don't. We'll probably see that very soon. Okay, enough with the rambling. Here is uh, our special guest for the week. Thanks for listening, and thanks for sending in your questions. And now, taking time out from roasting Jake of Cespedes Family Barbecue <laughs> for growing a beard, it's Grant Brisby of the Athletic. Grant, welcome back to your old stomping grounds, the podcast you didn't start. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it feels like you're looking over my shoulder because I was just thinking of a new way to roast poor Jake from Cespedes Barbecue. Uh, yeah, the bad beard. Uh, yes, he, <laughs> it's uh, it's not what you want. Uh, <laughs> so you know, when, when I was when I was in college, I had the world's worst goatee. Like I couldn't grow a beard. I could only grow a goatee from the bottom. You know what I mean? Like chin down. It, it was still not great. And so I, I feel like I've taken my lumps in the past so I can, I can go and I can harass the youth of today. Does, does he know that? Cause I think that context would make him more agreeable to the no, just no, vicious. Didn't. Oh, okay. He can't ever know that. No, no, no. That's that's for us. Uh, is it was it like a um, the Simpsons version of a beatnik uh, triangle mustache or a goatee? Kinda, yeah. You know, it, it's like I, I could grow it enough to where you could see it from five feet away. Like that was my definition of a goatee. Uh, and I don't know what happened. Like I guess I hit puberty when I was like twenty six or something. Because now I can grow a beard. Um, but uh, whatever, it all worked out for the best. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it's it's a good look. It sounds it sounds very promising. Um, listen, I don't know why I brought you back here. You've moved on, man. So is this for me? Yeah. Probably. I don't. know. <laughs> This place looks so small, man. Like, I can't believe I used to, like, you know, make it work here. Oh, wow. No. <laughs> Thanks for uh, having me on. Yeah. I guess the main thing I want to ask is, is the athletics CMS better than ours? That's the only question I really care about at this point. Uh, you know, it's WordPress. Uh, I, oh. I'll, I'll be 100% honest with you. I've written for a lot of different places in, in a lot of formats. And maybe it's because I'm uh, brainwashed, but I was a fan of, of Chorus, uh, the CMS, the Vox CMS. I, I mean, obviously, I kind of grew up with it, but at the same time, 
I really liked it. And a lot of people who left and went to other places, like I remember when Rob Nyer left and went to Fox Sports, he was like, dear God, it is horrible over here. Like, I, I want I want back. I want back on chorus. Like, that's the, that's the sweet stuff. So I, I don't have a bad thing to say about it. That's There's the ad, chorus from Vox Media. Grant, thanks for joining us. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, I had some chorus suggestions today because I – Use it constantly. Uh, my eyes bleed. One thing you didn't mention when um, you when you very highly recommended me for the position, and I very much appreciate it. One thing you did not leave in the note that you write your uh, successor, like we're supposed yes. to do, write two notes. You did not say you will come to hate everything about the Giants by <laughs> by month three. So I'm now in yeah. year two. <laughs> And That's what I was like so bitter about like Jose Castillo or whatever the hell I was caring about back in 2006, 2007. Like I just, uh, I, at some point it was done. Like I didn't have a lunch break. Uh, I guess I started in 2005 and I started full time with SB Nation in 2011. So you're six years where I didn't take a lunch break. You know, other people went to lunch. Uh, other people just got to, you know, mess around on the internet on their lunch. Uh, I didn't. I wrote blogs. I did blogs on my lunch for six years. That's how that's how I lived my life. And it's not it didn't. It's not good. It wasn't good. No, it's not what you want. Um, <laughs> I I think the evolution of the Giants of that time is pretty fascinating. I mean, we kind of all I'm going to have Craig Goldstein on at some point, And I the main question I'm going to ask him is, how does he feel being mostly responsible for the state of baseball today. But what I'm getting at is, you know, you were writing about the Giants through this whole transition phase going online, all that stuff, but also that transition of the the common baseball fans' base knowledge sort of going up um, and and the introduction of analytics, analytics, et cetera, and the Giants being so far behind the curve that you could, in addition to writing about the team, write about that gap. And now I don't know what we're doing. Right. No, that's a good point. That's a, first off, when you have Craig on, ask him about, he keeps his change in his wallet. I found this out today. Uh, you just found that out today? I just found that out today. But you got to ask him about that. Cause that's, come on. I mean, like a quarter, I guess, like if it's your lucky quarter. But he, uh, anyways. Um, but yeah, though, that's totally different. There was a time when you could just, you could look at a team and say, what is this buffoon doing? You could say, I, you know, why is uh, 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 the the Mariners GM trading Astrobal Cabrera for uh, Eduardo Perez? Or then like a, a month later, he traded uh, Shin Sin Chu for Ben Broussard, like the same platoon. And you could like point at that guy and say, that guy's dumb. I am smarter than that guy. I am baseball smarter than that guy. And it led to this really haughty, attitude this arrogant sabermetric attitude like the turn of the millennium was just brutal everyone thought that they knew better than everyone else and it was so so arrogant and it's not like that anymore man you you you're much much dumber than everyone in the front offices of every major league franchise you're guessing you're putting the you know i I spend 50 hours a week thinking, writing about baseball, plotting about baseball, just baseball's on my brain and I can't touch these guys. They're, they're looking at that, that at data that's not available to us, all this proprietary stuff. They have think tanks and dozens of people who are smarter and, and better qualified than me making these decisions. And I just sort of have to make knock, knock jokes when the trades happen. And that's all I can do. And hopefully my knock, knock jokes are, are good enough. They're still pretty good. You, you haven't lost anything off your fastball, as far as I can tell. Uh, <laughs> use promo code CRONCAST and you can get 25% off your... No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of flipped in this weird way, though, because I, I definitely... This is the this is what I really want to get into, the differences between you and I. You're a far more successful, far better writer, obviously. But the other thing that I definitely notice is that your emotions, you've sublimated them at, about baseball at some point. And you were talking about this, I think, online in this Twitter thread. But the other thing, it was just mainly I've noticed that you are an emotionally adjusted person who can save your emotions for the important stuff. And mine, probably by <laughs> virtue of my Catholicism, do not express emotions at appropriate times. And they come out when the Giants start talking like, oh, I don't know, every other team. And Kevin Pillar, who's fine, 
But, you know, that kind of sends me on a nutty because I'm like, why do I have to be an executive MBA uh, student to understand what the Giants are doing to enjoy baseball? Um, and so that's what I think what I what I'm sensing now is that, that that it's kind of flipped. Everyone's haughty at the turn of the century. But now it's like it's like reverse cavemen. The smart people are the cavemen. And we're now trying to trick them and trying to sequester them and shame them into doing things we can understand or that are acceptable to us. It's a very strange dynamic. And uh, you might have it right to just simply um, make knock knock jokes and, and not and try not to think too hard about it because you'll get out thought. <laughs> you know, it, to, to be fair, uh, when I was writing, starting my blog days, uh, it like for years, like, over a decade, I would refer to players as assets. I would look at a player who was uh, before his he, he hit arbitration and think, ooh, pre-arbitration salary. And that was like sexy to me. Like, oh, if we could just get a bunch of pre-arbitration salaries, then the team could actually spend it. I I followed along with that for years and years. That was a theme of my writing. Like, hey, let's let's get these young players because they, they don't cost as much. And I would use that, that dreaded term, team-friendly salary. Uh, and, you know, it took uh, like Mark Norman in beating me over the head for a few years to realize, okay, like that's, that's not necessarily appropriate. These are human beings and everything that goes along with that. And you got to switch it to owner-friendly salaries if you have to refer to it at all and, and stuff like that. And so it's like I, I'm not going to pretend like I was always baseball woke. Like it's just it's, that's not how it was. I was I was just as much of, of a McKinsey guy back in the day. It's just I was a blogger and it just seemed natural. Uh, but now I, I just want Charles Johnson to spend all his money. So. Yeah, well, I kind of think, I mean, my thought about it was because I'm an idiot. And so learning about all this analytic stuff, Moneyball, turn of the century, all that stuff, that was to me, it, it for me personally. So I guess I won't speak for anybody else. It always seemed like you were trying to be clever in service of being better. So the idea that you could find those pre-arb guys or those cheaper guys on lesser con- contracts was so that you could have them and Barry Bonds. So that you can mm-hmm. do this and that and understanding mm-hmm. that money is not unlimited. And yes, I also understand. Yeah, I want I don't care about their profit margins uh, at all. At this point, now I'm like firmly, completely like, oh, I don't care anymore. Efficient money is stupid and all that stuff. But, you know, to me, it was sort of like, oh, yeah, on base percentage. I see, like and it's kind of like your curiosity. Our curiosity kind of feels like it's been taken advantage of to this really strange degree. So. Uh, that's not the reason why I hate the Giants. I mean, I hate the Giants because they're not winning. They're not winning, and it sucks. Um, uh, but no, what but do you I, think about? Go ahead. <laughs> no, no, I was I was just going to follow up on that point where I agree with you to a large degree, but following the Giants specifically definitely takes some of the sting out of that mentality that that's the virus that's sweeping baseball because uh, the Giants have spent stupid money. And I'm not saying stupid is in large amounts, but like, uh, we need Mark Melanson. Ah, let's, let's go. Bleh. Here's, here's a big contract to Mark Melanson. Cause that's exactly what we need. We need, we're going to pick from Chapman, Jansen and Melanson, uh, whoever takes this contract or it's you Mark. Good. And before that, it was Samarja and Cueto in the same off season. And before that it was, well, we can't, we can't let Aubrey, Aubrey Huff go. He's a, He's a World Series hero. You know, you can't, you, we can't let these guys go. Or, uh, yeah, of course, Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford are going to be giants for life. Let's lock them up, lock them up, lock up Posey. Uh, yeah, come on back, Lensicum. Come on back, Kane. You know, for five years, it's, they've done that. They're not the teams that, the team that is saying, oh, gosh, we got to, God, we really can't keep Chris Bryant. Or, like, now I'm seeing there's a Carlos Correa rumor. That is dumb. That's dumb as hell. And the Giants were never that craven. They're just, they're sort of like the new front office is, is fading into this. Well, it's efficiency and it's, you know, we've got a plan, but they still haven't shown me that they're as craven as like, we got to trade Chris freaking Bryant. Yeah. I, I, and here, here's the hope that I allowed to be extinguished by one, nothing move ultimately in the great scheme of things. And that was the idea that I don't agree. uh, Even though I don't have the smarts for it. I just know that there's more than one way to rebuild a team. And so the idea that the that it felt it felt like in the moment that the Giants might be sinking into the whole well we've got to be the Orioles for the next X number you know literally X years uh, that was depressing and it's like well, then you're you know is this a con Farhan Zaidi's 
life's work up until baseball was literally studying how to trick people into giving up their money. So, like, the idea that, that you know, oh, I'm going to do all this voodoo and that's going to be the thing that interests you in following the team was sort of like, eh, not really. Like, right. Which, so that collides me into my next point because I, I – my main issue with Gabe Kapler, well, I have several issues, but the one that I'm going to choose to do so we don't get this conversation stuck in in a very important thing, we're two baseball bloggers after all, is that <laughs> Gabe Kapler talks like I do on a podcast, which really bothers me because I don't like to see that reflection. And so I'm thinking, you know, I'm Kapler and you're Boach. You, you just say it. You've got the experience um, and obviously, I, I mean, I've got the looks and the physique. I did not develop blogger's body over the last two years at all. It's uh, it's as ripped as ever. But um, word yeah, vomit, right? Is this this guy's problem? <laughs> like uh, on no. the surface, pure surface. We're just dealing pure surface right now. <laughs> all right, pure surface. Uh, I all right. So there is a writer, a baseball writer on the internet. His name is Roger Munter. Have you heard of him? Yes. All right. He is a he is a Giants blogger for some site I can't remember. And he had the best description of Kapler today on Twitter. He said he talks like a Dilbert cartoon. <laughs> my my mind just like it, it blew. And maybe I, I like that is the best. I wish I'd come up with that. I would be tweeting it right now. I would be writing a column headline. Gabe Kapler talks like a Dilbert cartoon. Um, but that's, that's exactly, you know, it's, it's probably, you know, we, we got to streamline the information and, and prioritize, you know, the, the implementation of it, it, it's, he, he is, and I, I'm not saying he's, he's disingenuous when it comes to doing this. It's just sort of how his brain works. And he's, he's, he's like very process oriented. Oh my God. I just said process oriented. Maybe I'm turning into it, but you know what I mean? Like he, he. <laughs> He, his brain is like very much like you can segment this and I, I can talk to this guy like that and he's going to understand this directive from the front office that I'm totally on board with and then I'm going to talk to this guy like that and we're going to get everyone on board and we're going to, uh, you know, it's... it's uh, Collaboration. But, yeah, you know, it's a uh, you know, paradigm. Uh, what's, what's the other itching, scratchy word? Uh, paradigm. Uh, uh, maximizing synergy, I think. Something. Oh man, yeah. It's like these are just buzz, buzzwords to make dumb people sound smart. Enough. I'm fired, aren't I? <laughs> That's right. But I, uh, I don't, th- I don't think it's disingenuous. I just think you know he, he's talking in a very non-folksy, bochy way. What it feels like more. Uh, well, I want to give everyone who's listening a, a, a little trick when you're tracking him because you'll lose the thread on what he's trying to say, or he'll say so many words that it won't matter. Like how I talk or write. But I want you to pay attention. He, when he uses the phrase, he uses the phrase by way of example, multiple times in any conversation. If the interview extends more than five minutes, he's going to use it at least, at least once. But it's something I picked up. Uh, he was interviewed on, on MLB radio tonight. And, um, and, and I don't know how they were able to keep his, his answers confined. They asked him really sharp questions that helped. When you leave it open-ended, it gets messy. But I, I think I agree that he's being genuine, but I, I feel like it's a lot more that he's one way to, like it, it's never more naked than, than a manager being one way to the public and one way to his team. Because the, what they're saying, what the players say about him, suggests a completely different personality than the one who's you know, in doing a press conference. And I think yeah. that's probably yeah. more accurate. He's like, I got to sound like a leader and we're dealing with data and I'm supposed to be, I'm trying to subvert the jock expectation. So I'm going to talk like this, but around the guys, he's going to talk like the guys. That's I can see I can. that. And I could also see that being temporary. You know, if, if he uh, has the chance to grow into the role, if, if he finds enough success to where he's here for more than a couple of years, I, I could see that sort of going away. And I've never met him. I've, I've never talked to him. So I don't know. Maybe he, he is like that, you know, when the microphones are off and he's just, you know, talking about synergy and paradigms and stuff um, off, off the record. Like, I don't know. So I can't speak to that. Okay, but I'm could, not pressing you. I'm not pinning you down for an answer, man. I'm just, no, I'm no, just no. Talking. But I could see, I, <laughs> I could see like wanting to come out and because it's, 
gosh, it's got to be stressful to be a manager with all eyes on you. And you're not exactly, you know, following like Ron Renneke. You're following Bruce Bochy and the pressure and you're in a big market. Yeah, you had that horrible PR, the, the PR start to, to your, your new job. You're going to want to project uh, an, an aura of confidence. Uh, you're going to want to make people think that you're one of the smartest guys in the room. And, uh, you know, maybe he is. I'm just... It, it, you're going to want to project that. So if he's going a little thick with it, I, I could totally see that. I would probably do the same thing. Oh, I mean, it, in, in that respect, it would be like those politicians who never show who they really are until after they've lost. And you're like, why weren't you just like <laughs> this during the campaign and everyone would be fine with you? Um, right. Yeah. So we're almost through here. Don't worry. But like, no, I'm on. not asking if you miss hey. anything about SB Nation. Hey, it's me. Hey, yeah. come on. Come on. <laughs> hey, it's the grin. It's grin. What hey. do you want? Um, so I, I'm going to just burn through these questions. These are the questions we're going to ask everybody for the uh, for this rest of this month. And we'll just bang them out real fast. Um, you, as a professional baseball writer, what does it mean to you? What is financial flexibility? Financial flexibility, that is maintaining a roster within the the structure that your ownership group has defined. So it's not something that you have control over necessarily. It's the people who write the checks saying, here's what you can spend, make it work. And sometimes you're the, you know, 1999 Yankees and we just buy whoever you want. Uh, but now in modern baseball, it is okay. We've got to focus on young players. We, we can't lock ourselves into a seven year deal unless it's like the perfect, perfect player. Uh, so that's financial flexibility. I would think. What is player value? Player value as someone who's covered the giants is a lot <laughs> ambiguous than it should be. No, I wasn't setting up a, a funny. I was, it, because you've got someone like, uh, take Matt Cain, for example. Well, Matt Cain's last contract, which started after the 2012 World Series, technically, was a dud. He, I don't think he had one productive season after 2012. And he was getting paid a very, very large sum of money. So his value you know, was, was kaput. It was just that he had no value to a team. But at the same time, there's that value of what if he were good and we just sort of let him float away to the Yankees or let him, what if he signed with the Dodgers and then he had five great years with the Dodgers. He had the Madison Bumgarner World Series, but with the Dodgers. It was Matt Cain coming out in game seven and shutting, shutting down another team and winning a World Series for the Dodgers. Like That has negative value as well. And there's like a good will to that contract. There's a good will to Brandon Crawford's contract to when they kept resigning Lincecum to two year deals. There's good will there and that has value. So player value can be in the eye of the beholder, but uh, it's also dollar dollars for war. That's my thought. All right. Um, <laughs> so when Brian Sabian ran the Giants, uh, they had four losing seasons in 20 years. Would that be considered sustainable winner? I yeah. I mean the Giants that was a that was a hell of a run. You do have to you're really playing with the game GD when you have a roided up Barry Bonds though. We do have to we do have to account for that. Like <laughs> there were seasons where the Giants had like a below average team OPS plus with Bonds. And it feels like there should be fines involved with that. Like that should <laughs> should not happen. If you've got a guy who's playing 150 games and with like a 600 on base percentage, if you can't build an average offense around that, that that's not like a credit to you. But at the same time, he built the, the, the team that ended up winning three championships. There's a lot that goes into this where – if the Rockies like Madison Bumgarner more than Casey Weathers, if they like Tim Lincecum more than Greg Reynolds, do any of the championships happen? And so there is a, a pachinko ball falling sort of thing where if it just bounces that much more of things that are totally out of your control. The Giants had no control over the Rockies taking Greg Reynolds over Tim Lincecum. And if that happens, is, is Sabian sustainable? Is he a genius? I don't know, but it, it sure seemed to work out. So that's the evidence we have. And I'll say pretty damn sustainable, pretty darn remarkable. Doesn't it just seem like then because of the variance and the subjectivity of the entire 
process that when you hear stuff like this, there are no hard and fast rules. And I don't know, I feel completely warranted in pulling my hair out when I see people being like, that's smart, that's smart, that's smart. I'm like, you can do anything you want as long as you win. There is no one way to do anything. <laughs> right. And I, I think baseball Twitter is is sort of jumping on that now. Like now, because now you, all the talk from the front offices is, you know, well, it, it's, it's got to be efficient. We're going you know, to look at the, what we have in our budget. And then people are making fun of it. Screw it. Spend some money. Do, like it's, it, that part is flipped too. the people, the the uh, hoi polloi on the Internet are just spend money, you idiots. Just go over the luxury tax, the fake ass salary cap. Like, just do it. You know, the Indians, what are you doing, Indians? You, yeah. You, When's the last time when you won a World Series? The last time was like the freaking fifties. Dollars didn't exist. No, I don't remember. Yeah, they're yeah they're trading like literal clams. <laughs> they would pay players in literal clams. Like what, what do you think about Willie Mays? Soup was a new invention. I remember reading about that. Yep, that's right. Uh, what do you think about Willie Mays making the catch? The Indians were in their current World Series drought when he made that catch against the Indians. Like, spend money. Don't let the Twins sneak up and push you out of the postseason. Like, they won. The Indians won 93 games last year. It, it, I'm embarrassed for them. I'm embarrassed for the Indians because they won 93 games on a platform of, yeah, let's, let's, what, like, what's that, what's that internet meme? Like quote from guy who got stabbed. What's that guy going to yeah, do? What are you going to do? Stab me? <laughs> what are you going to do? Stab me? That was the Indian's whole philosophy. Like, what are the twins going to do? Win the division? Yeah. <laughs> so, so I don't know. That that's baseball now, and I don't think the Giants are there. I mean, I actually really like the Zach Cozart move because it, it's the teams can't buy first round picks like they used to. Remember the days when like Stephen Drew would fall because Scott Boris was saying right. he was a private island, and then a team would come in and and pay. <laughs> way over what an 18th overall pick should make. Teams can't do that anymore. There are too many rules, too many regulations. And it's really hamstrung how teams can spend their money. So they're just sort of keeping it. They're just saying, all right, well, just I'll, you know, tuck it under the owner's pillow. Uh, so for the Giants to get Zach Cozart and basically buy another first-round pick, hey, it, it's better than not spending money at all and saying, well, we're just going to rebuild and we're going we're gonna to take it slow. They're not doing that, at least. And I really, really do appreciate that. Yes. And, and I never thought, I mean, this is the thing where my skepticism or my emotional nature needs to go away. The Giants have managed to do at least two amazing things this calendar year. One of those was get Will Wilson in the trade, but also to dump Mark Melanson's contract. So if there is voodoo going on, great because the Giants are doing weird things. Uh, but, I mean, that is pretty staggering. Let's just wind it back if Bobby Evans takes over the Giants from Sabian and one of his first deals is to, you couldn't at the time, but let's say that he did, do the same deal. You're like, Bobby Evans just bought, and he had two first-round picks this year. That's amazing. I mean, this right. isn't last year's first-round draft pick. This is this year's. So, right. <laughs> I mean, that is amazing. Um and you know that this front office knows Wilson. Like, obviously, if, if yes. they had just come in, it's like, oh, I guess the first round he's got that. But you know that they studied him, that they spent weeks on this guy, and they wanted him. They really wanted him, and they convinced ownership, yeah, we're going to take on this money. I don't even know if Cozart starts the season with the Giants, but they're, yeah. they just bought a first-rounder, and good for them. Do you, I think it's the sickest burn for Zaidi to come out and then say, oh, we were looking at him, too. I think that's so. That's such a sick burn. We got the guy we yeah. We got the guy we actually wanted, and then we because you're helpless got the other guy we were thinking about. Uh, it's, it's all fun and games until the yeah. Angels use that money to sign Bumgarner. Right, right. That'll be, <laughs> let's. I don't want to cross that thought bridge right now. That's very strange. Um, that that just completely knocked me off my train of thought now. But oh well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so this has been one of the strangest times, but I, it, it was stranger than the last time the Giants lost four years in a row because um, they're probably going to lose four year, you know, for the fourth year in a row again. Oh, here's what I, re I remember now what I want to say, but I'm going to uh, pause that for a moment. Are you aware, Giants historian Grant Brisby of The Athletic, mm -hmm. that the Giants in their entire franchise have never gone more than four consecutive losing seasons? I... Actually, don't think I did know that. I don't think that I did because I would have assumed the 70s, the dark AstroTurf stanky yeah. 70s 
like it, I think they broke it up. I think they broke it up with one winning season in there. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I believe it. That's uh, why. I mean, there. That's a pretty good run of success. Uh, the one thing that I, the way baseball set up, and I wrote uh, an essay for the Dodgers and baseball prospectus. I think before the the last annual, the 2019 annual. How dare you! <laughs> I have wandering eyes. Now, I, I, I wrote about how the Dodgers, like, they're never going to be bad again. Because once you have a certain amount of money, you have a certain amount of smarts, and the baseball financial structure is rigged to where the best players are the cheapest, which allows the richest teams to hoard all these young, cheap players and then spend money on whatever the hell they need at the time. Uh, oh, yeah, I guess we need a closer. Uh, we'll just keep Kenley Jansen for a billion dollars. Yeah, well, of course, we're going to keep Kershaw forever. Uh, we're going to keep Turner, whatever, because they're getting subsidized by Bellinger, by Seager, all that stuff. And I, I really do think that's the path the Giants are on, where you have a certain amount of money, a certain amount of smarts, baseball structure is rigged against the young player and it's just going to be easy to sustain the Yankees are another great example and the teams that are going to have to start catching up are those teams like the Indians the teams like the Astros that are like oh golly we, we got to trade Carlos Correa now because we can't afford them those are the teams that are going to have to be climbing and chasing against the the rich teams assuming the Giants stay rich maybe they won't um, or at least give off the air that they are going to spend money. Uh, but as long as they're willing to spend money and they've got some smarty pants in the front office, uh, it can be pretty darn sustainable. Yeah, I think that was, I mean, ultimately, if you're doing the, you know, picking over the bones of the last uh, management group, that was, you know, Sabian said, we're trading uh, Zach Wheeler for Carlos Beltran. It's our, it's our job to find the next Zach Wheeler. And literally your last article that you wrote for the site was, mm, it would have been nice if the Giants had drafted any pitching talent after their big glut of, of great <laughs> pitching talent. And they sure as hell didn't. Uh, no. We, yeah. So, that yeah, I mean, right up. Yeah. So I don't know if it was necessarily a resting on laurels or just, you know, failing to, you know, stay on top of developments i feel it's like it's more like that uh, the advancements in the field in terms of scouting and development yeah. that that held them back um so you know the giants they fell behind and then they they fell into where they are now i the other thing i was going to say is you mentioned baseball twitter is starting to jump on the whole idea of being poor and all that stuff i, I want to push this other idea not to to ignore that and i want it to be in addition to it because it just gets tiring to hear the same you know, people get on the same soapbox and do the same insult. There's a there's a 2% chance, and it's it's a more fun one to mix in there sometimes. If you're Stan Kasten, if you're Larry Bear, well, that's a bad example because we don't like him, but, um, you know, we don't like a lot of these people, actually. We don't like any of them. But let's say you're an owner of a team. Do you want any of your money for free because you tried to get good going to Jerry Reinsdorf just because you put Garrett Cole on your roster. Uh, Jim Crane is uh, obviously a war profiteer, so imagine someone else is managing the Astros. Does he want the A's getting any more free handouts because he wanted to keep Carlos Correa? I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying there is that one part of like these the wealthiest teams being like, you know what, we've given a lot of free money to these crap teams. And the idea that I would give them even one penny more than I had to offends me. I could see that. I and I think it's a lot more fun. <laughs> but I, I also say uh, my response to that hypothetical owner would be nuanced. It would start with, shut up. Like, <laughs> shut it. Like, the NBA doesn't have this problem. They know that yeah. they, the, the Milwaukee Bucks to, to be just as strong as the L.A. Lakers, at least, you know, financially. And that's, that's going to be apples and oranges because of the salary cap there. But the revenue sharing there is on point. You have strong revenue sharing there. I mean, I'm sure the Lakers would make a lot more money if in a baseball system where the Bucks could just float off and die. It, it, and so if you're worried about what the A's are doing, just shut up. Just worry about your own team and enjoy being fabulously rich and successful with all the advantages that the A's don't have. Just shut it. That would be my advice. I, I just think from a fan standpoint, when Brian Cashman says we didn't want to go to that number with Cole to then turn around and, and start dumping on the A's, saying it's their fault. I, I think that's 
Oh, that, that would, would be fun. I get that you would, that. Yeah. I get you that. Yeah. No, that would be hilarious. Yes. Yeah. That's <laughs> I'm all. That's all I'm saying. suggesting. I'm not suggesting we like <laughs> actually occupy and sympath and you know their mindset and empathize with them. I'm saying like let's stir it up. <laughs> yeah, chaos. Chaos would be good. You know me on the subject of chaos. I, I yeah. embrace chaos in all its forms. Especially uh, the I, A's. I, when you go out of the way and you think about the A's, I'm like, oh, they they deserve it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, you know what? Give it to them. I don't. I don't care. I don't, like, I spend more money on the A's than I do like any other team. They're right there. I go to a lot of games. It's it's great. Take the whole family. And if they if the Yankees want to send them like a lot more money for better concessions or something, that'd be great. Though it would benefit me personally. <laughs> I could eat like a, a, a like an art, artisanal sausage with I don't know what filled with jalapenos and crepes or whatever the hell you fill sausages when you're an artisan and I could take a bite and go mm, the Yankees are subsidizing this and it's delicious I'm, I'm tasting I could really taste the Brian Cashman tears that's so right I'm all that's for right. that well it marinates in those tears yeah. for 12 hours it's, uh, it's they really put a lot of work into it so I, final thoughts here. You're, you're, what, what is your feeling at this point? Because you've been doing this for so long. Sort of the state of, yeah, sports writing, uh, digital sports writing at this point. I mean, have you had any weird... Because you really are jumping into this potentially new model of, of doing things. And I'm wondering if you've felt any differences or just a sense of like... <laughs> Not where this is all going, but a sense of like, is, is any of this remotely sustainable for longer than five years? <laughs> I, the athletic, I don't want you to, <laughs> to do anything, say anything about the athletic. The athletic is solid. I'm just talking about this whole concept of writing online and people making money from it. I am all three monkeys. I've got <laughs> hands over every orifice. Like I have no set, like I just keep floating along. I am, I am, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm lucky to be where I am. And I know that if people ask me, how'd you do it? It's like, I was like a writer in 2003 when there weren't that many writers. And I, I'm lucky if I came up today, I would not have the drive. I would not have the perseverance to fight through the, the crowded internet that back then it was just sort of like, Oh, you start a blog. And now I've got a blog. I'm one of six giants blogs. Whoops. Now I'm one of five giants blogs. Whoops. Now I'm one of four giants blogs. Like that's how it was back then. And, and now there really aren't that many giants blogs. It's just, everyone's got a voice on Twitter and how would I stand out? Like, I'm not, I'm not funnier than most of the people on Twitter. I really am not. My jokes aren't that good. Uh, I wouldn't be able to stand out. So that's why you from- smartly switched to dog videos. Yeah, uh, that, no, was, I, that was a brilliant brand move. I feel <laughs> uh, Jeff Sullivan hates those dog videos. It's funny, um, but uh, so I I got lucky, and so I every every season that I get to do this, it, it's a gift, and I know that I'm basically stealing from people. Uh, but I do think that there is some sustainability for the the pay uh, pay to read market. Uh, it's you know at, there was newspapers, and you had to pay to read those, and then all of a sudden there's like this. Yeah, I was like, I, people get so mad when they have to pay to read the athletic. Like in 1985, like you could just walk into a store and take a stack of papers and say, "I'm going to retweet all these papers, you idiot!" You know, to the masses. <laughs> uh, but I, so there was that gap where it was like everything's free, everything's free, and and I remember when Rob Nair went. I'm just shilling for Rob Nair, but uh, when he went behind the ESPN paywall, that very first ESPN paywall, there was that idea. Well, pff, you know, so long, Rob Nair. I really enjoyed reading you, but I'm not going to pay for content. And now it's gotten to the point where I think that's how it's got to be because you have, what are the other alternatives? Like a, a guardian angel billionaire funding everything, like someone coming down and, and having this patronage of sites like the classical or, or sites like Deadspin and just you know, having this all this money and having being a pure of heart this philosopher king with money that can fund all these sites, that's not going to happen. And the alternative is the dumb clickbait strategies of the new Sports Illustrated. Like, what's sustainable? And I think it's just as simple as getting people who are passionate about a subject to pay a little bit, just a, just a little bit. And I think that's going to be the model going forward. Uh, I'm not, I mean, obviously I'm biased because that if that doesn't happen, that I'm screwed. But I, I really do think that just paying for that niche content a little bit is, is going to be where it's at. 
Oh, I'm glad I got you on the record for saying that because on the other line, no, I'm just kidding. There's no, uh, there's <laughs> I got no gotcha. This is my gotcha question. Um, have you read the site? What do you think? This is my Howard Stern gotcha question. By the way, I don't actually care about the answer, but I just want to get a response. <laughs> you, you care. You care so <laughs> deeply. Are you, are you going to pretend like you don't care? Uh, honestly, for a long time. Grant, there's nothing you can say that will make me feel worse than I do constantly. So don't <laughs> worry about it. I'm very aware of what I held and let, let like sand go through the fingers. I'm very aware. So please. <laughs> no, it is. Uh, uh, I didn't read the site at first and it's not because I, I didn't trust you it's not because I didn't like you or your writing it's because it, it kind of hurt like in a way it was uh, uh, you know I didn't speak out too much about why I left SB Nation but I was pretty hurt when I left SB Nation because they they laid off Mark Normandon and, 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 and Whitney McIntosh um, who were like my work buddies they were they were my people it was us three against the world and we would talk baseball for a year and I, I love them. I love both of them. And when they were laid off and it was sort of like, uh, Grant, you're the baseball guy now. Do all the baseball. Uh, I was hurt. And when I left McCovey Chronicles um, for good, for good, you know, not just, uh, hey, Brian, you sort of take this for <laughs> because I'm focusing on, on national baseball full time. Uh, you know, that was different because I always had my head. Like, oh, you know, I can just sort of pop in and write about the Giants, scratch that itch whenever I want to. So I, obviously I read the site then, but when I left for good, Espiation for good, I did stay away from the site for a while. But I'm back. You, you, you know, you keep, you keep bringing me back in, you know. And it helps that everyone who's oh, no. there for the most part, like I don't know, you know, I don't know Kenny personally. Um, I don't know Brady personally. But other than that, I think everyone was there was hired under – my watch, right? Like you, Doug, we had, Roger. We had one new person. Casey's in there. He was shut up, Wesley, on the on the site before then. Okay, but yeah, okay. everyone so, else was. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, I like that group of writers, or else I wouldn't have asked them to to write for me, you know, and have because yeah. that would be like if if you sucked, it would yeah. reflect poorly on me. So why yeah. would I like hire you to reflect poorly on me? Uh, I don't know. So I, I like the site. I do still read it now. Uh, there was a period where I was a little huffy and puffy about all things SB Nation and a little bit hurt, um, but that passed. And I, I love the good folks at SB Nation. Uh, I own stock in SB Nation, so do a oh, good hmm. Yeah, so, you know, <laughs> let's, let's do a good job there, uh, uh, Brian. Let's uh, keep it up. More posts. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't oh. know I was writing for the investor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I appreciate it. I really do. And I, I mean, the only thing that you did that you left when you left that I didn't like was you didn't flush any of the toilets and, um, and we knew it was you, but mm -hmm. I thought it was, you know, Oh, we have offices. No one knows that. Yeah. We definitely have an office. So I uh, can't flush any of the toilets. Upper decker is the baseball <laughs> term. That's Upper. right. Oh man. That, that's what the smell is. There was, oh, we didn't check the tanks. <laughs> Darn it. Uh, the last thing I need to do, the staff has asked me to do, is to get you on a recording authorizing all of us to uh, say that we're you when people, when we say we ask for rewrite from McCovey Chronicles and people ask, oh, you're Grant? Then we, even Sammy, every one of us says, yeah, we're Grant. Has that's, that, uh, that's okay, right? Has that happened? It happens all the time. Does it really? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, no, I I, uh, you can, you can, Live, you can kick me out of my house. Like, I don't care. I always make sure I'm sitting down when I say Ray McCovey Chronicles because that helps people lock in on Grant Brisby. Because <laughs> if I'm too tall, I might. No, I'm just kidding. Grant's six foot three. No one knows this. If there's anyone who's going to short shame me, it's not you, pal. <laughs> I have to. I'm your better by like a half an inch. <laughs> I don't know. That's just the eyebrows. Like with the eyebrows, you're a half an inch taller than me. Uh, people always ask, uh, or I never ask how tall people are because everyone's taller than me. That's my, that's my line. I'm like, oh, they're just taller than me. Even people who are shorter than me. No, <laughs> <Grant I've>, Briz <laughs> I've actually, uh, I've shrunk an inch over the last decade, like literally shrunk a full inch because of my commitment to blogging. And it, I'm sorry, I gave up an inch for you people, you jackals. 
Yeah, I, I cut a whole line of questioning where we just went over our blogger aches and pains. You've been doing this far longer than I have by by quite a new uh, quite a, a bit, and I have never ever 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 been quite chained to a computer screen like this before. So I was going to go over all the weird things that happen to your body when you do it every day. It hurts. But, it hurts. It's it hurts. weird. It hurts. I have an exercise desk bike, like an, an exercise bike that also has a desk on it. And so I, I'm on that for like four hours a day. But guess what? My ass hurts. Like <laughs> there's no escaping. Like it just there's something that's always hurting with me. And it's it's something you can't complain about because, well, what do you do for a living? Like this shit. Right. Right. I stare at Twitter and I think about how the world's on fire. Like that's my job. <laughs> <sighs> It surely is. And Grant, <laughs> thanks for coming on, right, as it's burning down. Now, uh, really appreciate it. I mean, we don't know, um, you know, we don't know where, what the future of the site is or anything like that, but it obviously wouldn't be where it is without you and your contributions. And, um, you know, we, we definitely uh, keep your spirit in mind when we write stuff. I, I don't have a what would Grant do poster or anything like that but when i definitely write something that's far afoul of where you would go i i definitely am like Ugh, this is gonna suck it's gonna hurt so bad and it does um but uh, really in terms of giants fandom i mean listen i i i think it's a pretty amazing space that you occupy oh my god i'm talking like gabe kapler right now um it's all right. I would con- I consider it. the landscape of uh, where you are in the Giants fandom. I would have to say, you know, you, you're the voice of the fan, that kind of thing. You kind of make fun of your role in it, but it's the balance perspective that you bring. You can crack a joke while you're upset, but then also not make it personal, delve into, you know, you don't catastrophize or anything like that. Uh, it's just a really nice balance, and uh, I'm not going to wonder how you do it. It's what makes you who you are, so it's not... Like a, you know, you're, you're an 80 grade uh, Grant Brisby blogger, like writer. That's, you are uniquely yourself. And uh, so I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you taking the time to come on. No, I really, really appreciate it. I, I always want to write with a, just a little bit of humanity. It, like, just remember that people are players and none of this is real. And boy, this is sports. Uh, it's all dumb. <laughs> But at the same time, like it, you, you spend a lot of time on this. So when sports makes you feel good, let it feel good. It, when it's going to make you feel bad, just turn it off. Like or not turn it, just do something else. Like you, I don't know. Or also go slowly, slowly mad. It's because it's on every day. I think that's what makes it every a day. little bit trickier. Yeah, it's on every day. So it's like it's this thing that's just sitting in the car next to you in your commute or something. It's just, <laughs> it's a weird thing. <laughs> um, Grant Brisby, The Athletic. You can read his archives on McCovey Chronicles. I definitely have not gone through any of them and made weird edits to them. But uh, you can check. <laughs> Do not read the, the archives. Oh, my God. Have you been back to read, like, a, a blog from 2000? Oh, I, I meant to mention that. I meant to mention that. Uh, there have been times where I've been like, what did Grant say about this thing that happened 10 years ago? And there are literally games that you didn't even write about. Yeah. It's, it's so great. <laughs> it was a different time back then. I mean, it was very, like I said, you know, if, if they made me do the, the stuff they make you do, I wouldn't have, I, I, it wouldn't have been sustainable. Uh, they asked me to run SB Nation Bay Area when that site started. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I can edit that. And he's like, well, you know, you got to you got to do 20 posts a day. You're getting all these things you're editing, you're writing. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, what does it pay? It's like, well, you know, it pays a thousand dollars a month. And it's like, I, I know, like, I, I can't. How, how, what? Like it, it, what they were describing was a full time job. And I, I just there was no way. So. Again, that's another way where I got lucky is just back then it was, I remember the first time, I know we're going long, but the first time like I got a a hint that things were changing was when Ryan Garko, the Giants traded for Ryan Garko. Remember it well. (laughs) And didn't get a post up. And the reason I didn't get a post up was because the trade happened when there was a McCovey Chronicles meetup. We were in a bar, I think we're in Zeke's, and we're all just talking, and they traded for Ryan Garko, ha ha. And then I got an email the next day. It's like, Grant, you, you didn't, you didn't cover the Ryan Garko trade. You, uh, there's, there's no post on the Ryan Garko trade. And it's like, what? <laughs> Who cares? Like, why? No one's, no one's like pressured me into a Ryan Garko post in the past. Uh, but 
you know, things did change. And even when I was full time, the pressure wasn't on me like it was other bloggers because they sort of didn't want to tick me off. And so it's always been different. I've always been better treated than most. Uh, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> it's fine. I mean, I didn't need my eyeballs for very long anyway. So um, my typing speed has improved. It's kind of weird, but anyway. Um, uh, that, by the way, that that uh, offer to edit for a thousand dollars a month—that was just six months ago that they made that offer, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I know those are kind of the, the uh, like you know that, that's not out of line with what the going rates are these days for different sites, but. <laughs> they were describing a very, very much full-time job, not a fake, but still sort of full-time job, yes. but also not, but also kind of like, this was like literally like a full-time job that I just, I wanted to do. I wanted to do that job and there's no way. Uh, well, if, uh, the shed, I'm going to you're on the area. If you want to add in, you can, uh, but the shed is the piece that Grant wrote during the year because the athletic was like, they liked his pitch. They sent him to Kirk Reader's shed at his house in Missouri. Uh, and mm. it's, it's an amazing story. And I'm sure it's going to, if not win you awards, it's made you friends for life in Kirk Reader and Sean <laughs> Estes. Uh, but you should read that if you're not an athletic subscriber. I don't have a promo code for you, but sign up anyway. I'm sure there's a free trial or a limited trial that you can check out. Uh, but Grant, uh, thank you. The writing is is just as good, if not better, than it ever has been. And he gets time to think about how to write stuff up. So really, Wild. really, it's amazing. <laughs> I will leave you with this, that on my phone's context right now, that my place in life has it to where alphabetically, Kirk Reader is right under Ken Rosenthal. That's my just, that's, that's the life that, that I lead. It's you could probably life. get a bow tie suggestion from either of them. If that, <laughs> if you went for Rosenthal and you accidentally hit reader, he'd probably be like, oh yeah, I took one from Willie Mays. He didn't see me take it. Um. Uh, wait, 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 wait. A source, a source tells Tom Verducci that Dodgers are making a strong push to land Garrett Cole. That's what I'm going to end you with. That is, that is the news of the day. Fantastic. Thanks, Grant, for leaving yeah. us with this. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks again. Thanks for listening. You got it. Thanks, Brian.